told you before, I didn't want you to read this crap. I never saw such rotten crap in my life. Where do you get this shit? Who sells it to you? <laughs> Welcome, one and all, to your horror podcast, home of all things sticky, nasty, and full of crap. I'm your host, Jared White, and this is The White Guy Dies First. It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. Oh, God! Oh, Jesus Christ! What do you want? I want to hear you scream. Your suffering will be legendary, even in hell. They will say that I have shed innocent blood. You've got to be fucking kidding. What's blood for, if not for shedding? They are not men, monsieur. They are dead bodies. Dead. Zombies. The living dead. Do you know what the most frightening thing in the world is? <laughs> Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? Ah, welcome, friends and lovers, to yet another episode of this uh, show that I pretend to have control over. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Uh, that's really weird. That made it sound like I'm being forced to do this show at, like, gunpoint or something uh, instead of just knife point. Uh, but don't, don't worry about me. Come on in. Take a seat. Settle in. Take your coat off. Shut the fuck up. Because today we're here talking about one of my favorite movies of all goddamn time, which is, of course, the immortal, the legendary, the masterful killer clowns from outer space. How can you not love a film with such a direct title? <laughs> it tells you everything you need right out of the box. It's wonderful. Uh, this is a 1988 American science fiction horror comedy film written, directed, and produced by the Kyoto Brothers. Uh, the brothers' names being Stephen, Charles, and Edward. They directed it. They produced it. They wrote it. They did a bunch of the special effects for this film, and I have to say, I really admire them. This was clearly a passion project for them, and there's a lot of love here, and honestly, a lot of talent. I think that uh, the worst thing you could say about this movie is that it is, at times, a little awkward, a little stiff, but I can easily forgive that because I don't want to, you know, throw any shade, as the kids would say, onto the Kyoto Brothers, but this is coming from a bunch of nobodies. You know, the Kyoto Brothers are, are nobody. Nobody knows who they are. This is their breakout film. Uh, while they would go on to do some special effects work uh, for other films, you know, collaborative projects, uh, there was nothing that ever really, uh, you know, uh, took the crown away from Killer Clowns. This is the movie that they did. This is the number one thing they would put on their resume. And, you know, I, I can easily forgive any awkwardness because this is quite clearly a, a the breakout beginning of what could have been a wonderful career. This is still in the point where they're finding their legs. They're in the baby deer stage of trying to stand up and you know i i i admire it i think that uh there could have been a lot lot lower uh quality standards here but they definitely did some good stuff here and i really love it so if you're coming here for a uh <laughs> an impartial objective uh review of killer clowns and you've come to the wrong place bucko because i fucking love this movie uh, problems and all and uh before i get into talking about it because i have a lot of notes i want to discuss the killer clown subgenre of, uh, you know, horror movies, and that, unfortunately, a lot of people misunderstand what makes a good killer clown movie. 
you know, when I was a substitute teacher a few years back, I would, uh, I was, I was teaching around the time when, uh, it part two came out. Um, you know, the second movie in the remake, uh, movie series of Stephen King's it. And I saw a lot of kids, you know, running around talking about Pennywise and I think even, no, it was the year before that, that there was a bunch of weirdos dressing up as clowns and, you know, hanging outside of bars and scaring the piss out of drunk people um, just by standing there awkwardly, you know. <laughs> um, and I have to say, those kids and those drunk people have critically, horribly misunderstood what makes a good killer clown. Now, obviously, if you saw someone in a clown suit, you know, just chilling out in the real world, you know, that's, that's a little bit more of a different situation. But in terms of movies, in terms of Pennywise, in terms of other killer clowns, so many people forget the critical, super important, uh, magic ingredient that makes killer clowns so good, so wonderful, such an original sort of antagonist in these horror films. And that is, of course, here you go. Clowns are funny. They gotta be funny. That's the magic, uh, I don't want to keep, my mind keeps going to like magic mushroom. This is not a magic mushroom, well, you know, <laughs> depending on, you know, if how, how giggly you get after taking magic mushrooms. Uh, the magic powder, the magic whatever, maybe I'm talking about the magic powder that Lugosi used in White Zombie from the last episode, but the magic whatever that needs to go into these movies is that clowns are fundamentally funny. You know, I think about uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, which I have not seen the entirety of. I've just seen clips, but I know that Sid Haig uh, plays Captain Spaulding, an evil clown that just has to be uh, based off of John Wayne Gacy's evil clown uh, persona. Um, and I've seen clips of Sid Haig playing Captain, Sp Captain Spaulding, and he understands it. He totally gets it, that clowns are supposed to be funny as shit. And the more you laugh along with a clown, uh, the more horrifying it makes it when they stab the shit out of you. Uh, you know, another good evil clown movie that I think is tragically underrated is Stitches. Stitches from 2012. I, uh, I actually forced a bunch of people at a Halloween party a couple years ago to watch it, and they had a blast because it was fundamentally funny. So that's one thing that I really just have to push out into the world where if you're going to talk about Pennywise, if you're going to talk about whatever sort of stupid killer clown, please, for the love of God, give them some credit for making us laugh, all right? Because otherwise, you're just taking some random dickhead and putting a funny hat on him or, you know, dressing him up a little bit. And, you know, if it's just, if it's like the equivalent of Michael Myers putting on uh, clown makeup, that's not fun. I don't care about that at all. Why would I want to see just some random dickhead dressed as a clown stabbing people? I need the shtick. I need the 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 parody of clown uh, performances, you know, and that's what Killer Clown delivers in spades. Arguably, more than any other Killer Clown movie, even um, the Tim Curry version of It, which I actually really like. I prefer that over the um, the uh, remake of It, mostly because. The remake of It is not fucking funny at all, at all. And Tim Curry actually has the guts to to be funny and make us laugh and while also threatening us. So, you know, get your shit together, Killer Clown movies. Take a note from Killer Clowns who, as I will demonstrate throughout the course of this podcast, go the extra mile in giving us funny gags, all right? While also terrifying us. It's a perfect intermingling of the two um, uh, emotions. And if you can't do that, then you should not be in this sub-genre at all, okay? 
Anyway, sorry, I had to get that rant off of my chest because that's been bugging me for a very long time and I've never had a platform to say that, and now I do. Huzzah! Anyway, now that that's over, I do now have to talk about the actual movie. I like, again, how I say have to. I don't have to do anything. I could just sit here and uh, talk about, uh, I'm just looking at a book over here, I could talk about Evie Shockley's Semi-Automatic, which is a wonderful book of poetry. Just kidding, I'm talking about fucking killer clowns! So... This movie is what's known as a cult film. It was not, uh, I believe, very popular when it first came out, but it has slowly gained an audience uh, through home video. And that's what I watched it on. I watched it on, I'm actually looking if I have the DVD case really quick. Hold on, let me, let me grab it. All right, I got it. Uh, so this is distributed by MGM and 20th Century Fox. But, you know, Killer Clowns, I don't know exactly what the licensing is for this movie, but uh, I know you can watch it. Yeah, for free, I think, on YouTube, <laughs> um, uh, with ads, of course, but uh, it is not one of those movies that's in super high demand. I actually almost thought it was public domain, because uh, it's just, I mean, it's in 1988, so I wouldn't imagine it's public domain, but it kind of has that feel, you know. Uh, but it did, I believe, have a theatrical release. Let me see, double check, I got all my notes here. Production release, uh, yep, it was released. United States, May 27, 1988. The film was was released on VHS by Fox Home, Home Entertainment. Oh my God! Holy shit! It who? It wasn't released, at least from my notes here. The film wasn't released on VHS until 2001. My God! I, you know, I speaking as somebody who was born in '93, I don't remember a lot of um, VHSs being made post like. 2004? I think that was when DVDs took over. I can't remember, but uh, yeah. Wow, VHS in 2001. That's that's wild to me that VHS made it into the, the, into the uh, new millennium, but well, there you go. I, man, I would love to have uh, Killer Clowns on VHS. <laughs> that's like that's like the ultimate nostalgia trip, but uh, this DVD was okay. I did not get the Blu-ray. Uh, I should have, but uh, I just for some fucking reason didn't. Um, and I have to air some complaints about the actual DVD itself, because while it does come uh, bundled with some interesting bonus features, such as audio commentary from the Chia uh, Kyoto brothers themselves, uh, and, you know, some bloopers, some various deleted scenes and whatever, uh, I have to say, the, the Achilles heel for all film home media stuff is you must, please God, have subtitles. All right? I... It's not that I am hard of hearing, but there's someone in my household who is hard of hearing, and to be honest, unfortunately, a lot of times the sound mixing in a bunch of movies, even really well-produced movies, is not very good. You know, we've all experienced, you know, loud, quiet movies where you turn it up to hear what the fuck the people are saying, and then it blasts you with something stupid, so generally I tend to keep my audio a little bit on the lower side, and I always prefer to have subtitles because I prefer to know what the fudge is happening in this plot. If someone's mumbling their lines, I don't want to have to, you know, go back and try to turn it up, and it's just a big hassle. And this does not have English subtitles, but it has French subtitles and uh, Spanish subtitles, which I'm fine with. Um, but I'm confused as why they would go through the effort to do uh, French and Espanol when there's just no English. What the fuck is up with that? That's that's not that's not okay. And I take big big points off for that. It sucks. Uh, and you're a bunch of garbage people. And I wonder if the you know, Blu-ray uh, had English subtitles, but whatever, whatever the fuck, it doesn't matter. Your DVD should have them. Anyway, sorry about that. Rant over. Uh, so basically, the plot of the movie is evil clowns show up and fuck things up. 
<laughs> and who are our main people uh, experiencing this fuck up? Why, it is, of course, the immortal... I don't want to say immortal. Uh, basically, the main actors are uh, Grant Kramer, Susan Snyder, John Vernon, and uh, John Allen Nelson. Uh, those are our main cast here. Of course, uh, Grant Kramer is playing Mike. Suzanne Snyder is playing uh, Debbie. Uh, John over there is playing Dave. And John Vernon is playing the immortal uh, Mooney. Is it Mooney? I want to make sure. I don't want to. I have it all written down here. I just want to make sure. I'm pretty. I'm going to do a, a quick word search for Moon. Mooney. Yeah, it's Mooney. Oh, man. I, I got to talk about John Vernon first because John Vernon is probably the most famous actor in this movie. Um, you may know him for playing the the evil Dean Wormer in Animal House. Uh, he's he's the older, crusty Dean who doesn't like uh, all those... <laughs> All those free drinking, free loving college students who are clearly in their 30s. Fuck those people. He hates them. Uh, he was also the mayor in Dirty Harry and Fletcher in Out the Outlaw Josie Wales, uh, which I believe is a Western. Yes, it certainly looks like it. Um, so he's he's got a wonderful voice. Uh, he actually, if you can believe it, was uh, had a minor role in Batman the Animated Series, uh, which I know a lot of people love. He was Rupert Thorne. Uh, the mob boss in Gotham City, and uh, he's probably most famous for well, Robert Thorne in the in the animated series. He uh, he's the guy who confounds Harvey Dent and pushes him uh, and pressures him into taking dirty deals, which eventually leads to the Two Face role. Uh, so if you ever watched or ever really liked the Batman animated series, uh, Rupert Thorne, who's kind of a uh, larger uh, mob boss guy, is played by. Uh, Mooney here, which is interesting. Uh, unfortunately, Suzanne Snyder and Grant Kramer uh, never really went on to do much else. I mean, they did little tiny bit parts here and there, um, mostly in like sitcoms like Facts of Life, Rags to Riches, Murder, She Wrote, but nothing really amazing. Uh, what is amazing is there's one uh, actor in here, the farmer, uh, who's played by Royal Dano. What a wonderful, uh, what a wonderful name. His full name is Royal Edward Dano Sr. And this guy, uh, for those of you interested, uh, one of his last acting roles was uh, Judge Clinton Sternwood, Sternwood rather, in Twin Peaks, uh, which is a series that I have only watched about four episodes of, and I seriously need to wrap up because I've heard it gets fucking crazy and really good and i am really ashamed that i have not gone back and uh, wrapped that up um so i've got the whole freaking box set right there um and i i just need to get the energy up to watch them because my god those episodes are kind of long uh but they are interesting and i'm not knocking the i'm not here to knock the quality of <laughs> twin peaks at all i love what i've seen of twin peaks i just need to get my off my lazy butt and actually watch it um anyway so he's in there um so anyway, Killer Clowns, let's not get distracted down the rabbit hole that is uh, Twin Peaks, my goodness. Anyway, so what is the basic plot of Killer Clowns? Again, people are terrorized by clowns, and people go and fuck up the clowns. <laughs> so that's interesting, uh, I guess. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good way to segue into the intro here. Well, I guess, okay, so when I popped in the DVD, uh, I did like that they went through the trouble of actually doing something fun with the, um, like the, uh, what would you call it? Um, the, the, the main intro page where you can select, uh, the main selection page where you can select, you know, play movies, subtitles, all that. Uh, they had this interesting little thing where they were like 
sort of puppeteering clown shadows and moving them around and showing little clips of the of the film. And it was really basic, but I kind of liked that they went through the extra effort there. They didn't just have like, you know, I was expecting really low production quality here. <laughs> just, you know, black screen, play movie, uh, maybe like maybe a picture of one of the clowns. But they actually did, you know try to loop in something interesting and compelling. However, there are no human actors in any part of that introduction. It is, it is all the clowns. They are front and center, which is uh, a little strange, but oh well. Oh well, oh well. So uh, when you first start up the movie, it it kind of, it, it puts up the names in this sort of blue and black text, uh, you know, uh, on the... Uh, on a backdrop of space, and it reminded me a lot of the introduction of The Thing, actually, uh, which I really love The Thing, even though it's not nearly as, uh, you know, sort of visually simulating as The Thing, which had that sort of burn effect to reveal the title. Uh, however, Killer Clowns does uh, sort of beat out The Thing in, in terms of uh, compelling introductions, because... As soon as, you know, we're done seeing the names, it transitions, it sort of stretches this uh, the clown laugh, so you can hear in the background, into this sort of, like, scream. It's not too loud, but it's, it's definitely there. And it transitions into this hard metal rock anthem thing. That's amazing. The main theme, Killer Clowns, is made by uh, the Dickies, I believe they're called. Uh, the Dickies Band. And it is way, way, way better than this movie deserves. It is awesome. I seriously could listen to that uh, little theme over and over and over again. It is so good. You just want to be like driving down the road and pumping your fist, listening to Killer Clowns. Oh, it's so good. It's it's ridiculous because they also put in like Calliope music in the background. It's I it mm, perfect, perfect introduction to this mood. And uh, the opening officially, you know, zooms in on our dear police chief. Well, I'm sorry, he's not a police chief. He is the police officer, Mooney, who is an older man who is clearly disgusted by all of these young people partying it up at, <laughs> for some reason, everyone's hanging out at this burger place called Big Top Burger. And uh, I'm glad that they uh, don't just have, you know, the clowns coming into any old random town. It already seems sort of primed for this clown invasion. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of clowning and big top and performance sort of motifs sprinkled around the town. And when you see uh, <laughs> Officer Mooney, you can tell right away he's a grump. He's an older man looking at 80s teens. Uh, one teen is carrying a bag of groceries that literally just has nothing but beer in it. Like big, <laughs> chunky cans of beer that are just plain white and just say beer on the side, which is perfect. Oh, man. You can tell that uh, Charles and Stephen uh, Kyoto wrote this with love. They are aware of the tropes set down by, like, the blob with Steve McQueen. And uh, it, it really captures sort of this. It's almost like uh, pushing forward the, the campy 1950s monster movie into a modern age, or semi-modern age, I guess we would say now. And I appreciate that. Uh, because it, it does feel like sort of any town, any town USA. It's got that suburban sort of feel to it. And, uh, it of course transitions then into whatever your suburban equivalent of make out point is. Uh, however, they are quite clearly not there to make out. These people that are parked, uh, really close to each other are definitely there to get down to business, to, uh, have some yucky, nasty, gross, ugh, sexy times. <laughs> And I say that because uh, right as we pan in across all of these people, a fucking ice cream truck rolls in with these two really annoying people, the Terenzi brothers, and they are they have a big clown head on top of their ice cream truck, of course, and they're selling ice cream, and they're 
they're, they're saying stuff like, you know, it's a tasty treat while you screw. <laughs> saying, hey, come out and get some fudgy wudgy bars. And it's just so offbeat, so strange. And uh, I don't know, there's, there's this sort of vague undercurrent of like really horny energy uh, flowing under this movie. And yet it's not... I don't feel like it's really exploitative. It doesn't really show any skin or anything. It's all subtext, but it's pretty explicit subtext. Um, when the uh, Terenzi brothers, I almost said the Kyoto brothers, excuse me if I get those mixed up. Too many brothers in this uh, series, series movie here. Um, when they pull up and they, they try to offer people uh, ice cream, because I guess, I mean, who doesn't want ice cream after having some big old nasty sex in your car? I mean, those things get pretty heated anyway. Uh, I was going to say those things get pretty heated up, but how would I know? I'm just innocent little podcast man who is stuck here in this room. Uh, again, not at knife point. Uh, so anyway, these uh, these people are selling ice cream, and it's kind of problematic the way they're doing it because uh, out from the back of the ice cream truck, these sort of uh, larger women uh, who are clearly you know just there to be made fun of, like, haha, they're kind of large, and they're eating ice cream. Uh, the Trenzi brothers have lured them to this spot uh, in an effort to have the sex with them uh, because they said they could have all the ice cream they could want. And, you know... I'm not going to, I'm going to say if someone I was, if I was attracted to somebody and they had the, their own ice cream truck and I was promised ice cream afterwards, you know, if all those things came together, maybe, but, uh, fittingly, you know, the girls say, you know, Hey, you're just doing this to get under our shirts. And they say, yeah, so, and then they're like, well, take us home. And they do. Uh, I'm glad that, uh, it doesn't get too gross and problematic. And they, when the Terenzi brothers are told, no, what are you doing? Dickheads. They say, okay, fine. Ah, you got us. Um, and then it transitions to our main couple, uh, the, uh, one guy, Mike, uh, and his girlfriend, Debbie, and Mike is apparently best friends with the Terenzi brothers, and he calls them his quote-unquote best friends from school, and at first I was, like, a little concerned, like, oh god, here we go, this actor looks like he's at least, like, 31, and is he gonna say high school? But uh, later, uh, Officer Mooney says that uh, he hates what the town has become due to those rich kids going to college. You know, why can't you kids keep it on campus? So I'll at least say, okay, you know, maybe these 30-year-olds are going back and getting further uh, educated. Good for them. Good, good stuff. So, you know, Mike and Debbie are getting hot and heavy. They're uh, they're pouring champagne. That's actually one other weird, interesting part is Mike, unlike everyone else in the uh, in the whole uh, lineup of people who are awkwardly having car sex right next to other people, uh, instead of giving beer, he actually has like a nice little generic bottle of champagne and these little weird champagne glasses that are kind of like uh, like circular, like saucer shaped, which is interesting. And they start kissing, whatever, and they're kissing on like a life preserver raft thingy uh, that's partially inflated in the back of his car and they they look up at the sky and it's a nice little moment and then zwoosh a, a really cool effect of a uh, meteorite going and crashing down nearby which again reminds me so much of movies like the blob of slither of you know that kind of stuff um it goes by it's clearly a painted set uh, that you know they the, they depict the uh, the cloud or <laughs> the meteorite going down on and this one guy, uh, who totally looks like Johnny from Night of the Living Dead, the brother, uh, Johnny from the, the old Romero, uh, thing. You know, he's blonde, he's got the big, uh, Coke bottle glasses. He goes, holy shit! And the girl he's making out with just grabs him by the back of the neck and pulls him back in. And, uh, you know, I gotta say, if, if a meteorite crashed right nearby and I go, holy shit, and the person I'm with still wants to have sex with me, that's a pretty, I don't wanna say, 
that's a good sign, but that's that's a that's a nice compliment, you know. So anyway, but uh, but uh, Mike and Debbie don't have the same sort of animalistic passion those weirdos have. I don't want to say weirdos; those consenting adults have. Um, and they say, you know what? Let's go check it out. And meanwhile, there is a, <laughs> a farmer guy um, who, again, that's uh, Royal Dano, uh, the guy who uh, played the guy in Twin Peaks, the judge. And he's just sort of sitting on his porch. He's got his, you know, bloodhound dog. He's sitting in his overalls. Uh, it actually reminded me a lot of this moment from Creepshow. Uh, I'm actually going to name drop that right now because Creepshow is my favorite movie of all time. Creepshow is the best. I could go off on that for another hour. I'm not going to, but it just reminded me of that scene because, you know, he's just, he watches the meteorite go down and he's like, oh my God, he gets a bucket. He goes, yeah, oh, that must be Haley's Comet. He's reading a book about Haley's Comet while he's sitting on his porch and he goes, oh my God, you know, everyone's going to come by because they want to see where Haley's Comet landed. Oh, there's going to be food. There's going to be tacos. There's going to be all kinds of stuff. Let's go get the meteor, uh, he says to his little bloodhound. Um, who is a really cute dog. He's a super sweet little dog. Um, and I, I'm, I, I really want to pet that dog because he's got the big you know, bloodhound jowls. He just looks like a super sweet dog. And they give the dog the cutest name ever. It's Pooh. It's Pooh Bear the Bloodhound. So Farmer Guy and Pooh Bear go, you know, trouncing through the woods looking for <laughs> this meteorite. And they, they find, instead of a, you know, big fucking crater that's burned up the forest they find a big you know big top a big top clown tent and they go hey oh my gosh or the farmer goes oh my gosh Pooh bear look i didn't know the the freaking circus was in town oh let's see if we can get tickets and he just totally forgets about the meteorite and he start he starts poking around he's you know taps the uh taps the thing and he finds out that the the big top is made of metal and uh Pooh bear the poor dog uh hears something behind him and uh, the a portal opens up in the side of the tent, and a big, gross clown uh, leans out of the hole with a butterfly net and snatches Pooh Bear, and the farmer hears it and goes back, and it's such a sad scene, because the farmer just comes back, and he sees his poor dog's neckerchief on the ground. No, the necker... Oh, what a stab in the heart that is. That really genuinely upset me. I was like, oh, not the, not the little Pooh Bear. <laughs> um, and then he goes, you know, the farmer says... No, Pooh Bear, that's it. Damn this place. And then that's when he goes and he hits the big tent and he figures out that it's metal. He hurts his hand and he gets really mad there and he goes, I'm going to tear this place apart piece by piece. <laughs> and I really feel his rage. It's great. And he grabs one of the, the big um, like metal be uh, uh, steel. Uh, I want to say it's, it's a wire. He grabs the wire and he gets electrocuted. His hands are actually smoking. Um, there's so much the electricity being pumped through his body and while he's sort of mewling on the ground that's when he's approached by the clowns properly and he's absconded with meanwhile our two wonderful uh, <laughs> uh cases of 80s hair uh i swear mike has a full-on mullet and debbie looks like she has a farrah fawcett sort of do going on i don't blame him you know the fashion of the time but whatever but what i do blame him for is uh right when they get close to the big top uh, Mike does this really problematic, like, mm, sitting chief looks for many moons sort of thing. I don't get it. It's a really sort of like unnecessary shtick, but I guess it shows that he's sort of playful and Debbie's receptive to that. I don't know. Whatever. They move on quickly. They're going to get fucked up. You know, they're going to get fucked up when they go into this big top and, uh, they, they approach the big top and they find an opening that was not there before. Oh my God. And they go in and... <laughs> 
And uh, for some reason, Mike gets really excited seeing this big top. Uh, Debbie, at first, was just excited to find the meteorite. And then she sees this thing and is like, uh, this is really fucking weird. Let's get the hell out of here. And Mike just goes off. He's like, hey, let's go in. This is the this is the brand new uh, European wave, Circus Fantastique. And I don't know why he's so into it, but uh, he's game. And um, it's it's kind of endearing a little bit. I go back and forth on whether I like Mike or not because he's he he's what we would call today in uh, in modern modern parlance a little bit of a himbo, a little bit of a uh, you know a semi attractive guy who's kind of dumb. Uh, but he does cut to the quick at times. But anyway, they're about to go in, and then we cut to the police station. Um, <laughs> where Mooney is blatantly abusing, uh, abusing these two people, these two guys that he's brought in, um, uh, on charges of being drunken in, in drunk in public, uh, as opposed to me, who is drunk in private. And these are just two guys who are like, hey, you know, it's a beautiful night. I was going out for wine. You know, just two guys going out in the park, having some wine, having a good old time. And Mooney... <laughs> Is so vulgar, and every scene that he's in, he verbally uh, abuses people and swears, and you can just tell that whatever he's experienced in this college town has just grinded him down. His patience is paper thin. He calls people shitheads. It's it's kind of beautiful. He gets in the face of Dave, his uh, partner. I assume they're partners. There's only two of them in the police station, and. Uh, <laughs> He basically violates every uh, code of conduct that you'd expect a, a decent police officer to uh, to go by and just sort of says, you know what, fuck these guys and starts uh, saying like, oh, I'm going to beat you up and stuff. And it's clear that he's just, he's done and he can't distinguish between college kids who are just having some playful fun and those who are breaking the law. And uh, it, it only gets worse for Mooney. <laughs> but anyway, so Mike and Debbie go into the big top and... Uh, you know, for a while, it's sort of ominous. Nothing happens. There's this really cool uh, interior. Uh, I don't know what they must have done to make these uh, these cool interiors for the uh, for the fun house for the for the big top. But it's really awesome, and the mood is actually sort of intense. Um, and they go in, they hit a few buttons, they go down the elevator, they get sucked down an eleva- elevator, more like, and they enter into what I presume is like the engine core of this place of the big top, because it turns out that's the aliens' ship. And uh, it, they they're they're placed among like a painted backdrop, and they're looking down this like, as Mike says, it's like a missile silo. This hole just goes straight down, down and down and down. And right above them is this big sort of uh, what I guess would be called like a Tesla coil, and it's really ominous, and it shoots out big bolts of lightning. And uh, immediately though, they don't try to discuss this, uh, dismiss this rather as just something that oh you know maybe they're just being weird clowns they're like no something's fucking wrong we got to get the fuck out of here and they start to leave but then an ominous shadow shows up and they duck into another room and it's a cotton candy room and uh mike for some reason desperately grabs onto the belief that this is just a factory where cotton candy is made and says something really he says like oh you know i bet all this cotton candy around here they're just hanging it out to dry Hang it out to dry. What the fuck are you talking about? What sense does that make? You see, that's what I mean where this this movie is somewhat awkward in its writing and its dialogue because I get that he's just de- he's trying to explain this in a more sensible way, but they these are like cocoon balls. They're not something that is being hung out to dry. And uh, when they go out, 
uh, when they go over to one of the cocoons and Mike rips off part of it, you see the bloody face of the old man of Pooh Bear's owner. Oh no. I like how I've forgotten. Oh, actually, they don't give the, uh, I was going to say I've forgotten his name, but they don't give the farmer a name until the credits. Uh, his name, by the way, in the credits is Farmer Green Green. Yeah. Oh, you, you, uh, you brothers, you brothers, you, um, Oh, God. I said it earlier. Blah, I forget the name. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, uh, Kyoto. You Kyoto brothers. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Too many brothers between the Terenzi brothers and the Kyoto brothers. Eh, I knew I was going to get mixed up. Anyway, um, so they they see the old man stuck in a cocoon. He's all bloody. He's gross. It really implies how sinister and deadly these clowns are. Uh, and another clown comes in. He starts messing with the controls, doing something with a little popcorn bubble thingy. And uh, Mike and Debbie decide to get the fuck out of there. And upon trying to run, uh, the the big clown... And by the way, I gotta say, these clowns are really weird looking. Like, they're super... I guess the best adjective would be fleshy. Yeah, they're really... They're, they're, they're sallow. They're fleshy. They're bulbous. It's, uh, it's really... You just would not want to touch these things at all. It looks like it'd just be the worst sensation ever. Like, touching, like, really old dust that's stuck on a, like like a crumpled suit it's just awful man really really nasty you feel like they'd be sticky too uh they're and they're really tall too most of them anyway there's one that's kind of shorter but uh they they did they did a really good job making these clowns unsettling i wouldn't go so far as to say scary at least not now in my jaded state of mind where very few things tend to scare me these days uh, I don't want to say that because then some somebody out there is going to say, oh, really, Mr. I can't scare you. What about this? Blah. And they're going to show me something really fucked up. But no, uh, in general, I'm a little bit more jaded than the average human, I would like to think. Um, but the clowns are unsettling. And I think that if you watch this when you were like eight, it might be like really like nightmare fuel. Um, but anyway, so as Mike and Debbie are about to run away, the bulbous, weird, nasty clown. I know the clowns have names. I'm not going to memorize the fucking clown names. Um, uh, he picks up a popcorn gun, which apparently, I didn't know this until I read the Wikipedia page, but that that gun, that 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 little popcorn thing actually worked. It is actually able to propel popcorn, and it was the most expensive prop made for this film, costing $7,000 to create and taking eight, or I'm sorry, six weeks to build. Oh my god, that is insane. Uh, that's, that's just, you know, this is the thing, is the popcorn gun isn't even featured that much in the movie. It's a minor prop. I don't know why they went to such extensive lengths. Uh, for this, for this little thing. I mean, it's cool as hell, but, uh, man, very weird. And, uh, I guess I'm, I don't want to say if I could own any prop, I'd like to own the popcorn gun prop, but uh, I wonder where it is now. I do wonder. Hmm. But anyway, so they, you know, Debbie and Mike do make their valiant escape and the popcorn chases them down a corridor, uh, seemingly seems to like turn down corners and stuff and it sticks to their clothes. And Debbie, <laughs> Debbie asks the wonderful question, why popcorn? Why popcorn? To which Mike replies <laughs> wonderfully, because they're clowns. Because they're clowns. He gets it. Mike might be a stupid bastard. He might be a little bit of a douche, but he's simplistic and he knows what's on the docket. He knows that they're fucking clowns and they're there to terrorize them with clown techniques. He understands. And I love it. I appreciate it. Way to go, Mike. There is certainly a dumb charm about him that I, I just, I gotta say, I really like. 
Um, but anyway, so as they're running away, the clowns come back out, and one of them puts together a balloon dog that is actually a real dog. It goes like, you know, sniffs around like a real animal and chases them down, and thankfully Mike and Debbie get to the car, and man, I gotta say, I know I just said that I'm not really scared of stuff, but, uh, there's a really scary shot when they're in the car, and you can see out the front window the clowns coming out of the darkness. Uh, these really bright, tall things, and it's it's super scary. It's like, holy shit, if I saw that coming at me right now, I would be out of there so fast. Oh my god. But they hit one of the clowns, uh, and it does a really good, I don't want to say pratfall, it does like a really good stunt where the clown like jumps on the front of the car and gets thrown off, and uh, they drive away, and I swear to God, one of the clowns, the clown who got thrown off does like the Michael Myers, like getting up sort of thing, where he's laying down for a long time, and then he just suddenly pops up. I don't know if that was intentional, but it certainly made me think of that. And, you know, I have to say also that the variety of the clowns uh, is impressive. Impressive. None of the clowns look super similar. I mean, there's sort of, there's different body types. There's the sort of really bulbous, larger clowns. There's the shorter one. There's the taller ones. Um, but I, I would say there must have been at least probably 15 different, distinctly different uh, clown uh, heads in this. And uh, I, I really appreciate that they didn't just make eight copies of the same two. Um, it does provide a little bit more personality for each individual clown. And seeing them sort of venture into the town is where we get to sort of the best part of the movie, where Mike uh, approach Mike and uh, Debbie go to the police station to talk to Dave, uh, the guy who was getting bullied by Mooney earlier. And apparently it's revealed that Debbie and Dave used to be an item. And uh, this, while you might think is going to be part of a you know, really tacky love triangle thing, Surprisingly, the movie is a little bit more mature than that, and uh, Mike handles this new information with, you know, a certain amount of dignity. And this is going to sound really weird, uh, very strange perhaps to most people, but uh, I actually think this is one of the instances where I could see uh, Mike, Dave, and Debbie all being in a relationship together. I think they would make a wonderful, uh, what's called thruple, a three-person couple, because there is a chemistry, I feel like, between Dave and Mike, sort of this mutual respect um, that, I, I don't know, they've got some good on-camera uh, on, uh, chemistry, and I, I, de I defy you to watch this movie and deny that they are, at the very least, not what people would call bros. Um... I'm not a big fan of the bro term, but uh, yeah, I, I honestly think that by the end of this movie that Dave, Mike, and Debbie should have been all together. Uh, but, you know, maybe that's a little too progressive for 1988. I don't know. Um, just something that I wanted to mention. Um, so while Mike and Debbie are explaining what's going on to Dave... Uh, Mooney is sort of lurking nearby, and he hears the whole account. Uh, by the way, this account, for some reason, they say a lot um, of the word. They say the word cocoon a lot, and I, I don't know why. It bothers me. They they say, like, oh, it was the cocoons, the cocoons. And uh, Mooney leans in and goes, killer clowns from outer space. Holy shit. <laughs> Just the way he says it is brilliant. There's a lot of great lines in here. Uh, a lot of great line deliveries that totally make up for the awkward ones. Um, and that's one of them. Holy shit. <laughs> and Mooney just says, you guys are fucking crazy. Or you're in line with the Terenzi brothers. You, you know, little Mike. He calls Mike a fart. You little fart. You're you're working with the Terenzi brothers to make me look crazy, aren't you? And uh, they say, oh, well, why don't you... Uh, you know, Dave, come out to the makeout point and we'll show you the tent. 
and uh, by the time they get there, the tent is gone. Um, they had dropped off Debbie at her apartment earlier, and uh, it's just uh, Mike and Dave, and Dave says, oh my god, Mooney was right, you were fucking with me this whole time, why did I ever trust you? He puts him in cuffs, and uh, at, you think it's going to be a bigger deal than it actually is, but... Um, they, they go to the makeout point and there's this really cool scene of uh, of Dave going up to the cars. All the cars that we saw people having, well, we didn't see them, but it was implied that the cars were having, not the cars, the people in the cars were having fucking sex fuck. And <laughs> uh, Dave goes up to the cars with his flashlight and there's this awesome, awesome, awesome uh, POV shot of uh, like a like a hand cam shot of him going up to the cars and it's super dark. Uh, they turned off all the lights and it's just uh, the the the, uh, the little scene is just lit by the flashlight and it gives it the super intimate sort of perspective and I really wish they had stayed with it the whole time. It totally gave me like a pre um, uh, I don't want to say Blair Witch because Blair Witch wasn't the first found footage film. I think that title might have gone to the last broadcast. I haven't seen the last broadcast, but I really should. Um, and it made me it made me think of those and I think that it's a little it's a little. Uh, uh, I don't want to say genre defining because obviously it's just like two seconds, but uh, it it harkens to a camera technique that would be used to great effect later. If I wanted to say that in the most roundabout way possible, um, but Dave looks in the in the cars and he sees little tendrils of cotton candy. What's that all about? Well, earlier in a scene that I didn't really discuss, uh, the clowns upon entering the town begin doing funny little vignettes all throughout the city for just randos. Uh, uh, like, this one guy just stumbles into a gazebo and sees a puppet show uh, in the style of Punch and Judy, and the the dude in the gazebo must be high off his ass because he just sees a random puppet show and just starts laughing his ass off. <laughs> And he um he sees one of the one of the puppets pull out a ray gun and fucking like disintegrates the other one and he just laughs he laughs and laughs and his laughter only stops when the um little stage the little puppet stage uh, gets destroyed by the clown that was inside standing up and revealing that he's like twelve feet tall then he goes uh uh and the the gun is turned on him and it shoots him and he turns into dun 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 more cotton candy like a little cotton candy ball um and it's uh it's clear from this point that the clowns are there to put people in cotton candy cocoons so bouncing back to dave he sees cotton candy on the cars and it, quite intelligently they do not uh the the kyoto brothers do not show um, at this point, anyway, they do not show any cocoons in the cars. Instead, they simply show that the inside is all covered in like a spider thin, spider web thin uh, uh, cotton candy tendrils. And inside, placed among all of this pink stuff that it's like hyper pink, by the way, it almost looks like blood, um, is the big glasses from the Johnny lookalike, the guy who looked like Johnny from Nightmare. Er, I said it again. Night before Christmas. I am fucking pathetic right now <laughs> not nightmare before christmas night not nightmare on elm street <sighs> let's say it all together night of the living dead he looks like johnny from night of the living dead that dude with the glasses his glasses are in the car which implies that while he was having the lovemaking session of his life with that woman who wouldn't let him go explore a meteor that crashed like 30 meters away he got cocooned oh no bad things are happening 
And while bad things are happening in town, uh, this one clown, for some reason, decided not to, like, reveal himself to people. Like, he stands in front of a drugstore with, like, a mechanical monkey that's just making basic movements. And the clown pretends to be an animatronic, which I would totally believe. And it's actually quite funny. He does it for no reason, because the people that walk by him just go into the drugstore and he turns them into uh, cotton candy cocoons anyway. He just does it for a fucking laugh. And it's quite funny. Um... <laughs> and then we get, unironically, uni okay, okay, look, this is unironically my favorite scene in this movie, all right? And I know that I break down a lot of scenes here, and I know I talk about this stuff, and I say how much I love this, but this scene is amazing, because it just cuts to this woman, this blonde lady, uh, in her, like, n this really sheer silk negligee, or like a night, uh, like a nighty, and she is, you know, just chilling in her house. There's some weird paintings on the wall. And she hears ding dong. And she goes to the door, opens it up. And in outside is one of the clowns with a whole bunch of pizza boxes. And what does she do? <laughs> of course, she lifts her wine glass a little higher, contemptuously, looks at the clown and goes, huh, pizza. <laughs> I don't know why she does that. Why she just looks at this clown holding like 10 pizzas and goes, obviously she didn't order any fucking pizzas probably. And well, I hope, well, maybe she did. No, it looked like she wasn't expecting it. But anyway, some guy shows up with a bunch of fucking pizza boxes. And all you can do while you're sipping your white wine gracefully is just go, huh pizzas. Like it's just some daily occurrence. Like, huh, it's raining out again. And that's her only line in the movie, uh, because right after that, a bunch of other clowns show up, scare the shit out of her, and uh, a little clown pops out of the pizza boxes, hits her with the ray gun, she turns into a cotton candy cocoon, which, by the way, I have to say, the effects on that, the transition, are, are really good. Um, and she's done, and that's it. And that's, I looked at her filmography, and I believe that's the only thing she's ever done. That's it and I kind of sort of love her she's my wife I I love that girl for just agreeing this one time to be in this one weird movie to wear a negligee where you can totally see her nipples for, <laughs> I don't want to say for some reason I know the horny reason why uh and just that's her only thing that's her only contribution to this whole movie huh pizza it's so wonderful I love her oh man I can't understate that um but anyway, so we go back to the to the drugstore where the, the drugstore owner is sort of stammering, seeing these clowns come in and fuck with his customers. Not literally, God. Uh, that would be an entirely different movie. All you clown fuckers out there gotta wait another, like, 20 years before that happens. Hope, well, probably, I don't... I'm not going to explore the dark regions of where clown pornography began. Uh, and yes, by the way, sometimes I purposefully purposefully mispronounce words because it's funny to me. That's why I say stuff like pornography, just because why not? It's sort of funny. I don't know. I'm a little child that likes saying words dumbly. Dumbly? Oh, God. Anyway, so uh, back at the stupid drugstore, stupid clowns are tipping stuff over, making a big mess while the store owner just stammers because he clearly sees mutants in his store messing shit up. And uh, even in this instance, the clowns sort of prank each other. Like one of them squirts another one with like hairspray or something. It's all right. I don't know. One of them smells some makeup powder and sneezes and it transitions to Dave and Mike doing some shit. Um, and getting away from Mike and Dave, I just want to talk about another great vignette. And that's when the little clown pulls up on a tricycle to a motorcycle gang. And 
One of the one of the motorcycle gang guys goes, "Hey, here! Look at this guy, Big Bad Jojo, coming to town." <laughs> oh man, there's so many great lines in this. And then another biker dude who's clearly drunk or something. He he wants to impress his lady. He says, "Okay, hey, look at this." And he goes over to the clown. He says, "Hey, can I ride the bike?" And the clown says, "No," or he shakes his head, "No." Well, that's you know, it's funny because you can kind of understand what the clowns are saying. They make like these little rah 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 noises. Um. You can kind of get what they're saying sometimes, but uh, not often. Not yeah, They're just fucking clowns. Um, <laughs> yeah, because clowns can't talk, sorry. <laughs> Any clowns out there, I do have to apologize. Real-life clowns, some of whom I have met, uh, one of whom is actually in my uh, 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 discipline. Uh, I don't want to say discipline. In, uh, in the English discipline at my school, uh, they're a clown, and they're great. They're really funny. Um, again, got to be funny if you're going to be a clown, and... Um, Real life clowns are great, but this clown is also weirdly great because uh, the the big guy says, "Oh, well, if I can't ride it, can I honk the horn?" And the clown nods and says, "Yes." And the the, the stupid biker asshole picks up the whole tr- magical tri- tricycle thing and smashes the shit out of it. He stomps all over it and breaks it. And ah, and the other guy uh, who said Big Bad Jojo is coming to town looks to his lady and says, "Man should have let him ride his bike," <laughs> which is great. And then the little clown jumps into the air, goes away for a little bit, comes back down with boxing gloves, and the big guy and everybody else laughs, seeing the little clown uh, with boxing gloves, and another immortal line. I don't want to say immortal line. I'm just going to say it because I'm saying that a lot. I want to say it's not an immortal line. It is an unchallengeable line. Yeah, there you go. That's a better descriptor there. Uh, This unchallengeable line for the ages. He says... What are you going to do? Knock my block off? To which the clown under uh, uppercuts his head and it flies fucking off into a trash can. <laughs> and the guy who said Big Bad Jonah's coming to town says, Damn. <laughs> Damn, man. That is the same response I would have. That's, that's maybe why I like this movie so much because the reactions seem so blunt and raw and just realistic. <laughs> Oh, it's great. However, in another way that's too realistic, uh, they go back to Big Top Burger, and there's this horrible, horrible, creepy scene uh, in which a lot of sodas are shown to have the Coke uh, logo on it, so they're advertising to Coke, way to go, stop sucking down Coke's big money, Uh, but not that. Uh, A clown is outside, and he attempts to get a little girl to come outside by, like, waggling his finger, like, in a come-on gesture. And it, it, oh, man, if you just showed that scene to anybody, that's not okay. It it, it totally looks like a child abduction thing, because it is. He's trying to abduct the kid, um, and and basically turn her into a a cotton candy. Well, I say cotton candy cocoon, but in this case, weirdly, he doesn't have a, a cotton candy gun. He's got a big fuck off hammer that I think he was just going to kill the kid with. Um, but thankfully her mom pulls her in, but you know, the clown's right there. So all the people in the restaurant are probably going to get fucked anyway. Um, so that's weird, really weird. Um, so let's see. Oh, this is actually the scene where, you know, Dave and Mike go to the, go to the makeout point and they see all the stuff and the glasses. And, uh, Dave says, you know what, Mike, you're telling the goddamn truth. <laughs> he says, "Hey, look! I found these glasses in the car." And Mike looks at them, identifies who their who the victim is. I forget the name of the guy, and he says that uh, you know the clown's got him. He's dead. Mike cuts right to the point and just says, "You know what? Cocoon glasses. That guy's fucking dead." 
<laughs> Meanwhile, back at the police station, Mooney still chilling out. He started to drink now. Uh, his aggression levels reach its zenith when he actively starts ignoring 911 calls that are coming in uh, because people are saying like, oh my God, there's a clown outside. There's clowns breaking into my house. Oh God, they're right out there. And he says, you know what? Fuck you. And he takes out a bottle of Jack Daniels and calls them all rich bastards. You rich bastards can go to hell. <laughs> Which is um, uh, not what you would typically want from a you know, person of law enforcement, but I can't say I'm surprised. Oh, well, whatever. <laughs> uh, even when the uh, when the store clerk, the guy who was getting harassed at the drugstore, uh, calls in, Mooney's sort of like, him too? Like, he's in on this? Oh, well, fuck him. <laughs> and then it cuts to a horrifying bit where this guy is being chased by a clown in his car. And I don't mean that the clown is running behind him, although I'm sure that he could. Um... The clown is driving an invisible car. <laughs> He's driving an invisible car. And he pulls up beside the guy who's going like 50. And the guy leans out of his car, looks down, sees there's nothing there holding this clown up. And has a very reasonable, logical response. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, my God. Oh, fuck. Oh, God. And he has a total panic attack. The clown doesn't even bother to wrap this guy up in cotton candy. He just knocks him off a fucking bridge and kills him and laughs as his body burns. So I don't know what's going on here. It is clearly not all just to get cocoons. They're doing this because they want to, because they find it funny. And that's exactly what I want from an evil clown. Kill people because you think it's funny. Make it funny. Don't just wear something a little silly and then do it. Come on. Meanwhile, for a lot of this film, uh, Debbie, uh, when she got dropped dropped off back at her house, she's been in the shower forever. And I am really disappointed that for most of the movie, she is just in this freaking shower for like the whole middle half of it, uh, the middle portion of it, rather. And, um, you know, as much as I dig on this movie for having horny energy, uh, it does have the good grace to only show us her midriff uh, when she's getting into the shower. You know, she starts to pull her shirt up, it cuts down to her feet, and the focus is then on the popcorn that was stuck to her clothes, which is crawling around. It's living, and uh, that's that's re really ominous. And it cuts back to her a couple times, still in the shower, and it shows like her um, her laundry hamper that she put the popcorn in pulsing, which is really cool. Um, so, meanwhile, another big clown puts a bunch of popcorn into a dumpster at Big Top Burger, and this employee, who clearly has to wear, like, the most embarrassing shit ever, he's got to wear a little party hat and an apron that's got all these little colorful dots on it, he hears some shit going down in the dumpster, and he looks in, and he gets killed. It's whatever. It's sort of just, you know, open a box, get eaten by a monster we don't see yet, but, um, you know, part of me wants to say that it's good in... Showing some restraint, not showing the monster quite yet, but I kind of feel like maybe that was just for uh, for cost-cutting, but whatever. Um, but now we come to perhaps the most memorable kill, the shadow puppet kill, where this clown shows up and he uses his horribly, horribly distended fingers to cast a bunch of shadows on a wall for a bunch of people who are just waiting for a bus, including some old people. Uh, he does a bunny, he does an elephant, he does a sexy belly dancer, again, showcasing the horniness of these clowns. Uh, and then, wonderfully, 
magnificently he does Washington crossing the Delaware and when this old guy sees it he salutes that's there's the camp right there it it camp is 100% embodied by a clown using his like four big fat fingers to make an image of Washington crossing the Delaware while a guy fucking salutes like he was there or something (laughs) he's so patriotic oh it's great uh and then Mike and Dave show up and the clown apparently was just freaking waiting for someone to show up because then he uses his ultimate shadow technique to make a dinosaur which eats and swallows everybody in one bite. He he puts them like in his hand, like you can hear him scream in his hand and he puts the people into his like popcorn bag and it's awful. And when, <laughs> when Mike sees the dinosaur bite those people, he says exactly what I have seen every single person who's, I've, I've watched this film with uh, people a number of times and every time you get to that scene where the, 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 the dinosaur bites the people, everybody says at the same time that Mike does, Holy shit! <laughs> uh, it's a wonderful experiment. If you uh, if you haven't seen this movie, well, God, I hope you've seen this movie, considering how much I'm talking about it. But if you're gonna watch this movie with a friend, wait to that point. Wait, wait when the shadow kills people, because I guarantee the person watching it with you will say "Holy shit!" at the same time Mike does. It's great. Uh, and then the clown jumps up into the air as Mike takes control of the uh, police car and tries to freaking ram into him like a goddamn boss. And the clown just jumps straight up in the air, and he doesn't come back down. To which Mike says, he's gone. He's out of here, man. Uh, and then Dave does the logical thing and calls Mooney. Mooney's been drinking. At this point, he doesn't even pick up the 911 calls. He's not doing, he's not even telling people to fuck off. He's just letting the phones ring. Uh, but Mike calls, or, I'm sorry, Dave calls him over the, uh, over the uh, police radio, and... <laughs> Uh, and perhaps Mooney's greatest scene uh, Mooney says you know what fuck this screw you Dave (laughs) fuck you I'm so sick of this you are clearly trying to make me you know go crazy and to paint me as a senile old man I survived Vietnam I can survive this or maybe he says Korea I forget which one I think he said Korea Um, he's not quite old enough to have served in Vietnam I think well maybe Um, one of the two major uh, Pacific uh, conflicts, I'll just say. And I would not have wanted to be in Mooney's, uh, on in any war with Mooney. God, what an asshole. <sighs> anyway, so meanwhile, while Dave is trying to deal with Mooney, uh, Mike goes around and finds the Terenzi brothers who are barely in control of their ice cream truck. And, uh, you know, he, he wrangles them and says, hey, you know, I gotta, I gotta go find Debbie because she might be in trouble because there's fucking clowns everywhere. And the Terenzi brothers, upon hearing that Debbie's in trouble, says, does she have any roommates? And Mike says, knowing his stupid, dumb friend, says, yes, she do, she does have two roommates. And specifically says, they have really big boobs. <laughs> really big boobs. And their follow-up question, the Terenzi brothers' follow-up question is, do they like ice cream? What the fuck is this? What the fuck is this conversation that they're having? <laughs> Someone here has a big boob clown ice cream fetish which you would think is only in this scene, but we'll get to another one where another thing happens, which I am convinced was put in there by the, uh, by the, uh, blah, 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 God, uh, Kyoto, the, by the Kyoto brothers who all collectively, I'm not going to say want to fuck clowns, but they probably wouldn't object too much. Maybe. I don't know. Depends on the clown. Uh, so anyway, uh, blah, 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 just going through my notes here. 
He stops and oh yeah, I did say he he uh, he says he made it through Korea. Yeah, makes it through Korea. Uh, and then right after that, uh, another clown comes into the police station, and there's actually this really funny scene where the clown is uh, in an odd bit of non-aggression, squirts Mooney in the face with a with a little flower water thing, but it doesn't kill him, it doesn't disfigure him or anything. It's just water. And Mooney gets really pissed off saying, you're in my territory now. You have no rights, you fucking clown. I'm sick of this. And he commands the clown to turn around, you know, so he can uh, put the cuffs on him. And he does. He does. He gets to put the cuffs on the clown. I'm like, hey, there you go. The clown's actually, for some reason, playing along. But then the clown's hands just fucking fall off. And he scuttles away uh, into the jail cell where the... um. Those two guys who were arrested for just drinking wine in the park are still there. Um, and uh, <laughs> he puts the clown in the in the jail cell. The clown takes out like a little, um, what are they called? Those little, uh, the noisemakers that you blow at, uh, at birthday parties. He blows that and like it extends and it grabs Mooney by the throat and pulls him in. And uh, at this point, the... <laughs> <laughs> the the two guys in the jail cell look at the clown who clearly is doing some supernatural shit and say what are you in for just another another beautiful part of this movie um shortly after that dave comes in and uh, to the police station which is all dark now and it's got a lot of clown footprints everywhere including on the walls and the ceiling and everything and this is perhaps the place where the movie truly enters into horror the rest of it is horrible either in terms of quality or in line delivery or whatever but this is the only point that feels genuinely tense um at least ominously tense uh, there's other parts where there's a little bit more action to it but this part you know he's he's slowly making his way through the police station trying to see where's Mooney where are the prisoners there's nobody here you know the clown is around somewhere but you just don't know what what happened here um and it actually reminded me a lot of uh the early x-files uh Dave actually kind of even looks like uh like uh, David Duchovny uh David Duchovny wait hold on oh god am I uh am I mixing up uh am I mixing up names oh no 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 Okay, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. For some reason, I thought I was pulling that name out of my ass, but no. David Duchovny, good old Mulder. Uh, Dave actually kind of looks a little bit like Mulder, I must say. Um, and this movie, uh, yeah, this scene anyway in the movie feels very X-Files-y. Um, and, and, you know, this is what I appreciate about Dave is that Dave is not a really jokey character. We have enough jokey, funny people. We've got the fucking Terenzi brothers. Um but Dave gives us a certain amount of levity to this. He he gives us a a grounding that is very needed. Um, and he explores the jail cell. He finds the cocoons of the two wine drinking guys. Uh, and as he's pulling away part of the part of the cocoon, one of their arms like falls off, uh, falls out of the cocoon and onto him almost. And it is it actually got me a little bit, not in terms of like oh, but it didn't like startle me slightly. And then he stumbles out of the jail cell, and ho, 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 the crowning horror of all, the clown is sitting in Mooney's chair, and he turns around, and he's got Mooney on his knee like a fucking puppet. He's even got the, the little um, little blush lines right uh, on his cheeks, and Mooney's skin is really sallow. And this is one of the points where I would really wish that the movie had subtitles, because the first line uh, that he spouts out of... Um, the first line the clown spouts out of Mooney's uh, mouth, I believe, is, "Hey, Dave, saw that girl. Uh, saw you with a girl last night." And then does like a little eyebrow eyebrow waggle. But I'm not quite sure what he says. Um, but the real horrible thing is that 
Uh, he leans Mooney forward and says, don't worry, Dave. We just want to kill you is all. <laughs> and then the clown takes his hand out of Mooney's back and the hand is all slicked with blood, like real honest to God blood. And the clown like sort of, he whips his hand and you can hear the splat of the blood against the, uh, against the ground. It's awful. It's a wonderful bit of sound design. And the clown just shoves Mooney's body on the ground and you realize that Mooney was dead the whole time. So somehow the clown knows who Dave is and he can speak in Mooney's voice. It's really weird. You don't quite know where the limits are with these clowns. Um, and it's, it's definitely the creepiest scene. If you watch that scene on YouTube, uh, you'll, well, you'll kind of be spoiling the creepiest scene in the movie, but, uh, it's, it's ridiculous and it's, it's actually quite effective. Um, then, you know, the clown starts approaching Dave and Dave wisely starts shooting him, pops him in the nose and the clown spins around a bunch, making this weird sort of green emerald shape and then fucking explodes. <laughs> Uh, I don't, I don't know why they explode. They don't need to explode. They need to explode. They really do. I love it. <laughs> oh man. So I'm, I'm glad they went for the extra. I mean, it's clearly just a, a, a superimposed exploding effect, but it's, it's quite wonderful. Um, meanwhile, we go way back to, uh, the Trenzy brothers and Mike who are, you know, driving around town. The Trenzy brothers are like, Oh, you know, I don't believe any of this shit. And then they see the parade of clowns who are, they're they're doing like some sort of like vacuuming of the town where they have this apocalyptic sort of parade and they're throwing dozens of cocoons into this machine uh, and this one guy's hiding under a car while the, the 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 clowns are walking by and for some reason he gets out from under the car and tries to run but he gets turned into a cocoon right quick and uh there's some really ugly clowns in this uh, in this parade. Some some weird secondary characters uh, that we don't really get to see. And you know, this is another uh, another point where I feel like the uh, uh, Kyoto brothers are flexing flexing a little bit their uh, practical effects makeup because you know these clowns do look distinct. And I actually uh, they you kind of wonder what these guys have been up to because we really are just limited to seeing what like three or four main clowns are doing, but they're, they're everywhere in this town and they're, they're causing a lot of shit. And I could just watch like two hours of them just messing with each other or messing with uh, the townsfolk anyway. Um, then we cut to, then we move to, I keep saying cut. We move to Debbie, who's finally getting out of the damn shower. And uh, she's kind of badass because out of the laundry hamper thingy comes some weird tentacle clown heads uh, and they are trying to bite her. They actually do bite her shoulder. They rip her shirt, which, by the way, is held in continuity. Uh, when we see her later, after a few scenes have passed, her shirt is still ripped, which is incredible. I, I, I really appreciate their attention to detail there. Um, and, of course, the largest tentacle clown thingy comes out of the toilet, and she shoves a shower head in it, and it's it's great. Um, but, you know, then she runs out, of the, runs out of the bathroom, goes to the living room. She kind of falls down. And, uh, you hear outside of the door, Hey, it's me, Mike, open the door. You know, it's, it's Mike's stupid voice and she opens it and a fucking clown's right there. And it mocks her like talking in Mike's voice, which is really concerning. <laughs> like, oh my God, how omni, how, how omnipotent are these clowns? Uh, and then we see how omnipresent they are because she goes to jump out the window and a bunch of clowns are out there already with a fireman's trampoline and little, little fire hats on their head, which is really cute. I actually, I, I really like that touch. 
Um, and rather than putting her into cotton candy, they put her into a balloon. They, they do this sort of weird yellow balloon thingy. And I have a theory about why they did that, but I'll get to that a little later. Um, they put her in the balloon, Mike and the Trenzy brothers show up and they see that she's in the balloon. They, they chase her. Uh, Dave joins in the chase. They all, you know, are following the clown car and they sort of like sped the footage up to make it look sort of more funny or more thrilling, I guess. It works in a silly way. Um, and the, the ice cream truck slows down, or I'm sorry, the Trenzy brothers hit the brakes because they see uh, Dave behind them in the police car and think, oh my God, the cops are chasing us. Uh, break, break, break. And they end up breaking too hard. Uh, Dave crashes his police car into the ice cream truck, which I don't think should do as much damage as it does, but whatever. So while they're figuring out all that shit, uh, <laughs> the clown car gets to where the destination is, where they've relocated the big top uh, spaceship thingy, which is, of course, in an amusement park. Why did you not think to look there first? I don't know. Whatever. There were clowns all throughout the city. I guess they had their hands full, but whatever. Uh, this is all the same night, by the way. This isn't multiple days or anything. This is all happening in one exhausting night. Um, and so the clowns pull up in their clown car and there's a security guard who is really weirdly like just an everyday sort of guy because he's just, you know, moseying around this abandoned, stupid uh, amusement park. And he pulls out a sandwich in a Ziploc bag and he goes to eat it. And then the stupid clown car pulls up and they interrupt his innocent little lunch. And, of course, a bunch of clowns come out because it's a clown car. Ha ha ha. And he looks at them a little bit surprised, and then it cuts back to them after you just look at the guard for a second. And suddenly now they all have pies in their hands. And he asks, what, what do you think he asks? I'll give you a second. He says, what are you going to do with those pies, boys? And immediately they've hit him with pies. Although the first pie does sort of miss. It just sort of clips his uh, shoulder. And, you know, they throw like 20 pies at him. He just gets covered. And he's like, oh, he's stunned. He's got this face like, oh, like he's so shocked. And then you realize that he's not shocked. He is fucking melting because those are acid pies. And he melts into a big pile of goo, and the clowns walk by him. I don't even know why they had to kill him. They could have just made him into cotton candy, which I guess is kind of the same as killing him, um, as we'll see in a moment. And as they're walking by, the shortest clown pulls out of nowhere a big, big cherry and puts it on the big goo pile. How wonderful. <laughs> uh, later, when the Trenzy brothers and Mike and Dave all show up... Uh, one of the Trenzy brothers touches it. He's like, oh, it looks like melted ice cream. I don't know why this movie keeps talking about ice cream so goddamn much. Um, but he only puts a finger in it. And I still think that should burn his finger off because uh, you they do a close-up zoom on the pile. And there's a skeleton arm sticking out of it. And it's, it's crazy. Um, but now we reach the climax where, you know, we're back in the spaceship. And it feels like an appropriate sort of climax. They've they've heightened the mood because you know that whatever's going on in this funhouse is really messed up. Even though one of the Terenzi brothers, for some reason, hits a button. He just touches a random big button on the side of, uh, of the wall. And you think it's going to do some big, nasty surprise. But all it does is shoot like this, this little column of steam up Mike's ass. <laughs> Which is kind of a, it's a funny goose, you know. It's a funny little thing. Um, 
So let's say, uh, as they're walking through, they theorize, the group theorizes why these clowns are here. You know, what are they? Are they really even clowns? Uh, Mike says, maybe, you know, they just look like clowns. They're not really clowns. Maybe our idea of clowns came from them thousands of years ago. Maybe they visited and now our perception of what a clown is, is what's happening. And, you know, the, the, the film doesn't need to go into this sort of larger ideological sort of, you know, why. Uh, but I do like that they touch on it just a little bit. They didn't have to, um, but that that tiny touch of curiosity goes a long way. And it, it voices our own questions, our, the, the viewers' questions about why this is happening. Uh, but one of the Trinity brothers says, hey, maybe they're just stopping here for a snack. And it turns out, yes, the, the clowns are putting people into cocoons because they want to drink us. That's right. They, um, well, the Trenzi brothers get separated, and I'll talk about that in a second, but basically Mike and uh, Dave see one of the clowns come in with a giant silly straw, and of course it's a silly straw. It has to be a silly straw. He sticks a, a silly straw into a cocoon, which he, like, pokes and prods like it's a, like a, like a fruit, and uh, he, he sticks the straw in, and he sucks out blood. So whatever this cotton candy is doing, it's like liquefying you, and uh, apparently the clowns just live off of that stuff like fucking vampires, and it's uh, it's pretty disturbing. And I have to say, by the way, that is not just a silly straw. That is the silliest silly straw, because the thing looks like it would be like eight feet if it was laid out in a straight line. It's crazy. Um, but now I need to talk about the Terenzi brothers who get separated. They fall down a hole, and they fall into a ball pit. And right next to the ball pit, as if it's like, you know, babes hanging out by a pool, are two female clowns. And one of them, well, maybe both of them, but one of them for sure is very noticeable, uh, has inflatable breasts. <laughs> and um, it's it's something. It's it's quite awkward. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's heightened even more by one of the Trancy brothers saying, are you Debbie's roommates? <laughs> Calling back to the big boob thing. Oh, which is just a wonderful payoff. I love it. It is it is definite horny clown energy, but I I am surprised they restrain themselves and just, you know, they don't show the Trenzy brothers doing anything with them. It's all, you know, implied, but uh, it's, it is interesting. However, this does lead me back to discussing why uh, the clowns put Debbie into a balloon rather than into a cocoon. Uh, I didn't mean to rhyme there. It just sort of came out. Um, and it's my theory that because earlier we hear... Uh, one of the 911 calls to Mooney, this guy says that uh, the clowns put his wife in a balloon. I'm going to theorize here, and I don't know if it's been confirmed or anything or whatever, if I'm just spouting something that's already like known about this film, but uh, I theorize that they're putting Debbie and other women into these balloons so they can transform them into female clowns, which are, you know, I don't know if it's from this current batch or from an older batch, but the Terenzi brothers are currently having the sex with uh, two former humans, uh, female humans, presumably, who have been transformed into female clowns. Ah, gross. Um, so that's that's weird and problematic for a number of reasons. But anyway, so uh, Mike and Dave, you know, at first I was going to say it's a little callous that they're only there to save Debbie. Um but I, I, you know, I wrote down that note like, oh, man, they're just looking for the Debbie balloon. They're going to pop that open. And uh, no, actually, when they take her out, 
uh, they say, what about all these other people? What should we do? And by the way, there's a lot of people in this area. Like uh, in the beginning of the movie, when we saw the farmer uh, and his dog put into cocoons, there's only like maybe five cocoons in the whole place. And now there's like hundreds of them. Um, and actually, we do see while Mike and uh, Dave and Debbie are all sort of eluding the clowns here in this cotton candy room, we do see a smaller cocoon um, that is noticeably tinier than the other ones. And this tells me that either it is Pooh Bear the dog, who is smaller, but he's not that small. He's a bloodhound. Or it is one of the children's cocoons, which is really dark. Oh, my God. But anyway, so, you know, they get Debbie out. She's still got the rip on her shirt from when she got bitten by the clown in her bathroom. Uh, good continuity there. Uh, and then they run around the whole ship, and this is the big final chase down. Uh, there's even a fireman's pole that they're going to go down into. And Mike actually has the wherewithal to say, there's no way I'm going down there, because who the fuck knows what's down in that hole? And Dave says they have no choice. He's blasting clowns with a shotgun. They're everywhere. And they go almost all the way down, but then they see that there's a big grabby monster at the very bottom of the pole. And it's only there for a few seconds. I don't know how much time they put into making this grabby looking uh, three segmented face monster thing. Uh, but it really is only on screen for like two seconds. It's effective, but I wish they had held on it just a little bit longer. Um, and speaking of impressive, the set designs that they run through are just amazing. They went way harder than they needed to on here um there's one scene where they're like th running through like anglerfish mouths uh that seem to be they're not like backdrops they're not painted cardboard or anything they're physically like chunky i don't want to say marble but they're like plaster sort of models and it's crazy um it, it really gives the uh, the funhouse uh, an ominous effect because it's just a black backdrop it looks like they could be doing this in any old warehouse or theater um and they just have these really colorful sets and it gives it this sort of playful and ominous uh, feeling which is great um and then they run down uh another hallway where things are sort of shifting and they reach another great point where there's a bunch of uh, i would call them like alice in wonderland doors where you open one door and there's a smaller door and then a smaller door and mike just in his panic opens one up and goes another door opens another door opens another one another door <laughs> And this is the sort of thing you're either going to love or hate. You're either going to find this sort of thing really annoying or really endearing. And I clearly uh, find it really annoying. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so then the final showdown happens. They're in the main main room where there's a bunch of clowns. A lot of familiar faces. There's like 20 clowns all coming around. Some of them have golf clubs and bats. And it's it really does feel like an army of clowns. And then out of nowhere, out of nowhere, the Terenzi brothers come crashing through the wall with their ice cream truck. I don't know how they got the ice cream truck into the center of this ship or whatever, but they come crashing through. And hilariously, they are both, um, uh, they have big lipstick uh, marks on their cheeks and faces and stuff, and their clothes are ripped to shreds. Uh, so whatever happened with those female clowns was... Uh, it, it gave them a bit of get up and go because they are now here and they use their microphone basically to command the clowns like, hey, it's me, Jojo the Clown, leave these people alone. Um, and this doesn't work because the ultimate clown, Clownzilla, I think it's called, uh, comes down. And this is a really interesting clown because it is gigantic. Uh, I believe it was stop motion 
produced. I, I think one of the uh, uh, one of the Kyoto brothers got in the suit and sort of did a stop motion sort of thing with it. Uh, it's really great effects. I mean, it's a little blurry at times, but it uh, it's sort of scaly like a reptile, and I think that's supposed to be part of the clownzilla motif. Uh, and it really does feel like a giant monster, a real kaiju sort of thing. Um, and I admire that they went to this length to make the ultimate clown. And it really is. It's super monstrous. It scares away all the other clowns. Um, and Clownzilla beats the fuck, beats the shit out of the, out of the Terenzi brothers ice cream truck, picks it up, throws it, and it blows up while they're still in it. And they're clearly dead. No question. Um... But we'll get to what happens to them in a second. Uh, amazingly, our main dude, Dave, chooses to selflessly sacrifice himself as a distraction so Debbie and Mike can get away. And he gets grabbed by a giant clown hand. Again, it looks like something out of King Kong. They made a gigantic clown fist prop to pick up Dave. And it's only on screen. I don't even want to say for a second. It's like a half a second of this big, weird gray hand grabbing Dave and lifting him up. Um, and while he's out of bullets, he pick he grabs his badge, his police badge, and uses the spiky part to pop the nose of Clownzilla. And uh, and there it goes. He spins around as the ship's you know going up into the sky. As uh, as um, Mike and Debbie look out. By the way, by now the police have officially arrived. Like there's eight, eight police cars that finally arrive. And the spaceship is lifting off. It looks like a big dreidel, or dare I say, a big top uh, spinning around. And um, cl when Clownzilla blows up, immediately the ship blows up, uh, killing everybody inside. Um, however, not really, because <laughs> um, the clown car falls out. And guess who gets out but Dave. And not just Dave, but the Terenzi brothers, who they say were able to survive because they got in their ice cream freezer and that's what uh, saved them from being blown up it does not explain how they got into the clown car with dave but whatever i can presume there was a minute or two there where they felt like the ship was going to blow up it doesn't matter because apparently i heard that uh, originally dave and the Trenzy brothers were supposed to die and they added on this extra scene because um this scene tested better, a more wholesome ending tested better with audiences, and I have to say, it really puts the, dare I say, cherry on top of the whole thing with making it really cheesy, you know, Mike hugs Debbie, Debbie hugs Dave, Dave hugs Mike, again, this is the sort of scene where I think they would work really good as a three-person couple, because they really seem to have genuine affection for each other, and it's great, and they look up in the sky, and they wonder if it's over, is it really finally done? And then they all get hit by pies. Ah, and the and the theme music comes back again. That rock anthem. And it's it's perfect. It is the perfect ending. I know it's a little cheesy, but hey, the whole freaking thing is cheesy. It's great. Oh man. Um so that's uh that's the thing. And but and at the end credits, um apparently Mike's the character Mike's last name was Mike Tobacco. Uh and Debbie was Debbie Stone. And, uh, again, there was Farmer Green Green, and apparently one character was named Slug? Slug? I, I don't know. <laughs> Weird names. Um, so that was Killer Clowns. I give it, unironically, a 5 out of 5, 10 out of 10. I, I just, it is so good on every level. Um, both ironic and unironic, because there is clearly 
a lot of talent that went into this. You know, I I think it had uh let me see here. It had a budget of 1.8 million. And that may seem like a lot to get, you know, maybe they didn't uh maybe you would say they didn't get their money's worth, but you know, it filmed in Watsonville, California and at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. Um, and all the practical effects that were utilized, uh, all the rubber suits, the, the guns, everything, it really, I think, makes the best use out of the money. Maybe a little bit over budget, um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, I, I, I love it, and I think this is arguably the perfect killer clown movie um, because it just hits every trope so effectively it puts a horror twist on everything and yet it isn't afraid to be funny i guess the worst thing you could say about it is that the movie isn't really scary um but you know that's the that's the wonderful thing about horror is that horror can be any degree of scariness you know it could just be scary to someone who's 10 and it still works as horror as long as the mood is threatening um it's great. Now, again, I do have to put a giant asterisk on my perfect score by saying that the version that I watched, again, does not come with subtitles, which is a mortal sin for this sort of thing, and I hate it, but um, it's okay. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it's funny is that this film actually does come with um, director's commentary by the Kyoto Brothers, and I was really, really tempted to to listen to it in, in preparation for this podcast. But as you can tell, because I've been talking for a freaking hour and a half, uh, which is over, I think it's 86 minutes. So, yeah, this is this is almost over. Oh, God, I, I'm really bad at math right now. So let's do the Killer Clowns running time. Oh, you're saying 88 minutes again. How long is 88 minutes? It's like uh, it's an hour and 20. I'm so sorry if you're smarter than me, people. Uh because I'm not here to make myself seem smart. I'm just here. Oh, so it's like it's like an hour and a half. Yeah. Oh, it's it's an hour and 51 minutes. Oh, okay, so I haven't been talking as long as the movie runs, but close, close again, just like with White Zombie. Um, I might get there in this little final closing bit. Sorry for being a little little slow. I, I'm not really good with my conversion. Actually, no, wait. Yeah, it's uh, 60 minutes. Yeah, so that's it's an hour and twenty eight minutes. God, why why am I being so slow? I apologize, my dear viewers. I was so wrapped up in the dizzying heights of talking about killer clowns that I I blanked out for a little bit. Um, so yeah, that that was that, and uh, yeah, this uh, getting back to what I was gonna say. Sorry, I got totally distracted uh, about the director's commentary. Is that I would have watched it for this podcast, but clearly I had so much to say, and um. You know, I think when it comes to watching a movie, at least especially when you're talking about, uh, you know, a podcast format where you're kind of reviewing it, kind of just going over it, um, I think that adding in the uh, director's intent is somewhat unnecessary. Now, don't get me wrong, I would definitely rewatch this movie while listening to the commentary and maybe do a supplemental uh, part two of this podcast uh, discussing what happens there. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to freaking list the whole thing. Uh, but I would be open to maybe just doing a quick little 10-minute thing talking about uh, what's covered in the um, director's commentary. However, you know what? I just decided I'm not going to do that. Fuck that. As Mooney would say, fuck you, over. Um, <laughs> I love that he says over because he's talking over the, the thing. Anyway, uh, he's talking over the uh, the broadcast uh, uh, PA thingy. Um, the, oh God, what's that called? Uh, 
the police scanner. No, you use the police scanner to find police. Whatever. He's talking over the walkie-talkie sort of thingy. And uh, he says, fuck you. And that's what I'm going to say to you, loyal viewer. Fuck you if you want to listen to my take on... <laughs> I'm being so mean. Uh, on the uh, audio commentary by the Kyoto Brothers. Because why don't you, haha, support the... Uh, developers here support the filmmakers and buy a copy for yourself and then you can listen to uh, even more goody uh, killer clown commentary even though I'm sure you've gotten more than an earful listening to me um, so uh, what do I have to say here it's PG-13 I think that's an appropriate rating I really do um, PG would be I, it's too horny for PG it is way way too horny um <clears throat> And, uh, but, you know, it's a classy sort of horny. It doesn't, uh, well, I guess you could say if, if, if something's being classy horny, then uh, it's not really worth talking about at all. Um, but it's got, I, I, God, I hate to say this, but I feel like if you showed this to the wrong kid at the wrong time, this may be uh, somewhat of a sexual awakening for them. <laughs> I'm not going to say that it'll develop any uh, clown fetishes. I mean, I have a feeling that certain people, certain Certain teenagers would definitely replay the clown breast inflation scene. Although, I'll be frank, it's not really well done. It's not... They're, they're very clearly some sort of fake balloons. <laughs> like, I know that boobs are sometimes referred to as balloons, but my god, these are literal balloons that are being inflated here. Um, anyway, so, yeah, be be cautious watching this with uh, any, any uh, nearby teenagers because they may get a horn on for these clowns uh <laughs> which i'm not i'm not kink shaming them at all not in the slightest bit if that is your thing then that is your thing uh and i will not judge you i will simply laugh a little bit because hey that's what clowns are supposed to do right they're supposed to make us laugh and if you can't laugh at the idea of squeaky clown sex then what the fuck are we doing here <laughs> What are we doing on this mortal sphere, on this mortal coil, if I can't laugh at the idea of hilarious, slipping on banana peel clown sex? I don't know where that was going. I should really shut up. Um, so yeah, this um, this podcast I wanted to do as a more silly sort of uh, affair compared to the more serious uh, white zombie uh, from last, uh, I'm going to say last week. I don't know what I'm going to be uploading this maybe on a Monday maybe on a Friday those are my primary uh, uploading days um but yeah so this was more of a silly one uh maybe next time I'll do a scarier one I think that would be appropriate because we haven't really gotten into one that's truly like horror with a capital H so I'll keep my ears out I'll keep my eyes peeled for that sort of thing um but yeah that's that's sort of my my take on uh killer clowns uh it's great I love it it's beautiful in every way uh you should watch it uh, if you have not <laughs> enjoyed this complete deconstruction of every single frickin' scene. Um, and, and I really like it, clearly. I really do. Uh, I, have a, I have a nasty feeling that you may at some point uh, be able to tell when I uh, upload a podcast that I'm not particularly a fan of because the ones I like are like an hour and a half and the ones that I hate are probably only going to be like 20 minutes. But we'll see. Maybe Maybe half an hour. I could probably really break it down. Anyway, everybody, uh, thank you so, 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 so much for uh, taking the time to listen to me uh, if you've made it this far. Uh, love you lots. Uh, not as much as I love those inflatable clown boobs, but whatever. Uh, not as much as I love that lady who, upon getting pizza, said, oh, pizza. She's the best. She's number one. I love her. Um, 
So anyway, guys, I'll let you go. Ta-ta for now. Hope you enjoyed, uh, and I'll see you on the next episode of The White Guy Dies Last. Uh, ta-ta for now, everybody. Um, I think in this case, um, who died first? I believe it was the farmer, Mr. Farmer Green Green. So he did in this case. This was a movie where the white guy died first. How appropriate. Um, okay. Well, aside from poor Pooh, poor Pooh Bear the dog, uh, but in terms of humans, uh, definitely green, green. Anyway, I've rambled on enough. Uh, Ta-ta for now, everybody. Bye-bye. Stan, don't you think you were a little hard on him? You see that crap? All that horror crap? Things coming out of crates and eating people? Dead people coming back to life? People turning into weeds, for Christ's sake? Well, yes, I did, but I... Well, you want him reading that stuff? No, but... All right, then. I took care of it. That's why God made fathers, babe. That's why God made fathers. <laughs>